Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 33, and we'll consider verses 1 through 17 to begin with. Genesis chapter 33. Last week we had the account of Jacob wrestling with the Lord, and we learned some lessons from there, and the Lord changed Jacob's name from Jacob, the supplanter, to Israel, the prince of God, the one who had prevailed with God, and We learned how he was able to prevail, having lost the battle, but he prevailed by understanding his weakness and in his weakness simply clinging to the Lord and seeking his blessing. And when he stopped wrestling, then he received the blessing that he sought. Such important lessons for us in our walk with the Lord, our fellowship with the Lord is we find our strength when we understand our weakness, because our strength comes from the Lord. We're strong in him and in his faith. And so in Genesis 33, we'll pick up verse 1 there, and we'll continue to see Jacob's development of his faith. He was not perfect. He didn't start out perfect. He's little by little learning how to live by faith, just like we do. Uh, There's not one of us here that have reached perfection in our faith. And there are many different levels and maturity of faith represented here. But we want to continue to learn and grow in our faith. And that comes from studying God's Word and from learning from these examples. Uh, Some of the mistakes that the men and women in the Bible that we read about, it's good for us to see those mistakes. I'm glad God didn't gloss them over and just try to present these men and women of faith. They're perfect. They always do what's right. Uh, God's very honest with about his people and the mistakes they make, but that should encourage us that God, our Father, is a long-suffering, patient, merciful God. But at the same time, we should also learn from lessons that we don't have to make the same mistakes. We have an advantage living in this, this day and age where we can look back at men and women of faith and, and the things that God praises in them. And we can see the mistakes that they made that kind of held them back for a time from God's best. And so we can avoid those things and follow the good example. So we'll continue to see that in Jacob's life as he continues to grow and learn how to fully trust the Lord in every decision. Genesis 33 verse 1. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front. Here we're going to kind of see how he esteemed different members of his family. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Those were the apples of his eye. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? And so he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which, which I met? Remember, he had sent several waves of gifts before 
the family met him. So this is what Esau is asking. What's this all about? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Now, there's some debate on whether that was a very exaggerated flattery of Esau or whether he was simply saying because of the changed heart of Esau, he sees what God did in him. We'll leave that between him and the Lord, what he actually meant by that. But at any rate, God had done a work in Esau's heart. Verse 11, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the the flock will die. So Esau's wanting to go back to the land of Seir and take uh, Jacob with him back to his house. And so Jacob begins to make excuses why he's not going to take him up on that offer. Please let my Lord go on before his servant and I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, now let, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. I'll, I'll leave some people to help you come my way. But he, Jacob, said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeying to Sukkoth, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth, which means booths. He went the opposite direction. Seir was south and Sukkoth was north in the land of Canaan. So we're going to find once again in the life of Jacob a mixed response. In obedience to the Lord, because the Lord told him to go back to the land of Abraham, to the land of Canaan. He didn't tell him to go to the land of Seir. And so Jacob is obeying the Lord's command and the Lord's leading, and that, that obedience is by faith. He, he's believing what God told him to do. But once again, he is slipping back into his old ways. He's once again lying to his brother. And remember, God had made it clear all along the trip that, that God was going to protect Jacob and his family. And he was going to bring him back to the land of Canaan and bring him back prosperous, and he would bless him. God had showed him that. We looked at those in our study. How many times God reassured him, trust me, I've got it worked out. And yet we see that Jacob feared with great fear that Esau was going to kill him when he returned. And so this is why he did everything possible to try to avoid, to try to appease Esau. But once again, we see that all of that planning and scheming that Jacob did was completely unnecessary because God had already done a transforming work in Esau's heart. Esau had no intention of killing Jacob at this point because God had gone ahead and already taken care of the situation. 
Jacob's name was changed when after he wrestled with, with the Lord, and he was to be now a, a prince, one who, who ruled because he had prevailed with God. And he was no longer to be Jacob, the one who supplants another, the one who takes the place of another, and the way that he chose to take the place of another is usually by scheming and deceit and lying. Now, there are those who defend the lies of Jacob because, after all, he's a man of faith, and so God God doesn't shut him down because he lied, so we shouldn't say anything bad about it. I'm sorry, I cannot accept that approach. A lie is a lie. He got himself in trouble the first time because of deceit, and now he just lied to his, his brother again unnecessarily. Because God had already done the work that was necessary. So Jacob continues to slip back into some of his old habits. And how many times do we as Christians do the same thing? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Like Jacob, we've been made new. Jacob's name was changed. God said there's a new beginning here. You're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, Paul says this is true about us, that it's, it's a work of God. It's done. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how do you get in Christ? By accepting Jesus as your Savior. So anyone who's saved, anyone who's in Christ, he is, not he will be, but he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so the moment that we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a change that takes place that's real. We receive the very nature of Jesus Christ, the very life of Christ within us. And we have everything we need to live a godly life, to do the will of God, and to enjoy all the blessings that come with doing the will of God. Blessings that start in this life, but obviously the best is yet to come in eternity. All the old things of our flesh, all the old habits of our flesh and those tendencies to to work things out for ourselves that selfishness that's within us that we're born with the nature we receive from Adam all of that's still there but because we've been born again it has no authority to control our life we we owe nothing to our flesh old things are passed away their power and their authority they, they can't demand anything of you because you have Christ because you're in Christ. But the problem is a lot of Christians like Jacob sometimes slip back into the old habits of the flesh to think like we used to think before we were saved, to try to do things the way we used to do things, to try to talk the way we used to talk, to get along with different ones and to fit in in different places. We slip into that. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and verses 17 to 32 where Paul exhorts us to put on some new habits. Here he makes an illustration of putting on clothes. Put off clothes and putting on clothes. And the thought is, the old man, the old nature that we have, it has clothes. They're they're stinky, they're rotten, they're holy. Well, I guess I shouldn't say holy because that's popular these days. Uh, But rotten, smelly clothes. And those are old habits. But the new man are new habits. And that's what is pleasing to the Lord. 
And that's what has reward in this life and in eternity. So in Ephesians 4.17, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Remember, the world, the unsaved, they're blind. They're literally, Paul says, empty-headed in the futility, the emptiness of their minds. Don't continue to talk and act like them. The world is not our standard. How many times has, whether it be children, teenagers, or adults, have we heard, well, everybody else is doing it. I'm sorry, that's not your standard. And when you're raising children, that's, that's where you start. I'm sorry, what everybody else does, even what other churches do, that's not our standard. Our standard is what the Word of God reveals to be right. What the Bible says should be our attitude, our reactions, our conduct, our words. That's our standard. Nobody else, nothing else. We're not to walk like the rest of the world. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, they're blind, being alienated from the life of God. They can't enjoy peace that passes understanding. They can't enjoy joy unspeakable because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Why would you want to live like the world? Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you, Christian, have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So you see, it is a process. You have to train your mind. And you know the only way to do that is by the word of God. Read it, meditate, pray that the Lord show you. What, how does that apply to my life? If you just read the Bible like some cold old book, it, it's never going to transform your life. But when you read a passage, meditate on it, and then pray, Lord, how does that impact my life today? How should this change how I think and how I act? That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. There's the, the deceit. Jacob was being deceitful again. He didn't need to be, but he thought he did to protect himself. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, okay, if we don't get all of that theological term, what are we talking about here? So Paul's going to put it where the rubber meets the road. Put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Let's start there. It's a good place. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. So it is possible to be angry. Anger itself is not the sin. But when we let anger dictate how we respond, that's when it becomes sin. We should let that anger take us to a place of prayer. Lord, how am I supposed to respond to this? I've been angry several times today, actually. I won't tell you why. but And, and you know, that anger is almost immediate. Why are you so stupid? Why, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you do this? The anger is there. But then as a Christian, we have a choice. How am I going to respond to this? How, how is this going to be in not only my best interest, 
but in the best interest of those that I'm dealing with, to give them an opportunity to know Christ and to know him in, in a deeper way. If that individual happens to be saved, how can they know Christ in a deeper way? By how I respond. That doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to have confrontations. You will. If you're still breathing, you'll have confrontations in life. You're going to have to deal with moments when you are just angry. How do you respond? Take a moment. Sometimes that prayer is only a silent prayer in your head while you're still talking with them. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Paul Elswell tells us that, actually it's James, I think it is, that says the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So your anger is never going to do the right thing unless it leads you to seeking God's direction. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. Now that's a change. That's the power of the grace of God. It takes a thief and makes him a generous person. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So instead of stealing, he's now helping someone else. That's the power of the gospel. When we put on the right clothes, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That's a tough one, isn't it? It's not only talking about don't swear. I mean, that, that should be a no-brainer for Christians, and yet it's not. I'm, I'm shocked at the vocabulary of some of God's people. But it's not just talking about swearing. It's talking about that which tears down. Put that off. I, I, like, I like Paul's teaching. It, it takes us to the heights of glory with all the provisions of God's grace to the point of sitting on the throne with Jesus Christ and some people just like to dwell on that. I'm glad that that's a reality. I'm glad I know those truths. But then he also comes right down to the practical and says, the best of this is obtained through these practical steps, this practical life of putting off the things that we are to put off and to put on the things we're to put on. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that which builds up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Wow, I think we can all just take that verse and meditate all week on that one, don't you think? Is that really what characterizes your words? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can make the triune God sad. God loves us. Our Father loves us. Parents, have you ever had children that made you sad? You didn't quit loving them. You didn't hate him. We can make our Father sad. We can make the Holy Spirit sad, the one who's sent alongside to help us. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It's very specific things that we need to put on, other things we need to put off, and be kind to one, to one another. Tender-hearted, that means be sensitive to the needs of others. The flesh is so selfish it's all about how I feel. It's all about how I want, what I want. But the new man in us is always sensitive to the needs of others, to what others are going through. Remember, Jesus died for us, his enemies. He was sensitive to our need. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Holding grudges and bitterness will not do anybody any good. It won't do you any good, and it won't change the situation. So... All things are made new, but are we going to the right wardrobe, to the right closet, 
to put on the conduct for the day. May the Lord help us. It's a process. It's a transformation. But our progress, and when I say that, when I say that we're not perfect and and f- living by faith is a process and a learning process, that's not an excuse for us to continue to to live carnally. It's simply an acknowledgement of who we are. But our progress, our spiritual growth should be seen by others. We should notice it and not boast in it, but be thankful that God is changing us. There, there have been situations, I, 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 tell you, I told you how I would get angry, and I've been angry today. There have been times when my anger's got me in a lot of trouble and did not help the situation at all. I mean, I, I got in a few good licks, but didn't help anything. Verbal licks, I don't fight. But didn't help anything. In fact, it hurt. It, it made things worse. But when I, I've seen how the Lord is able to check me, and I can recognize that check, I, I can't boast in that because I know that's not me. I know what me is. I know how me responds. But when I see that God is doing work, I, I realize it's real. My faith is real. God is changing me. And so we don't use the fact that we're not yet perfect and that faith is a process. We don't use that as an excuse to stay in our carnality. We use it, first of all, to thank God for his mercy, his patience, his long-suffering. We give him thanks, first and foremost. And then we say, Lord, I don't want to make you sad. I want to bring you glory. Help me today to recognize between the two different kinds of conducts, ones of the flesh and ones of the spirit. I want to put on the new stuff. Philippians 4, Jacob continued to fear and to scheme when he didn't have to. God had already done the work to protect him. God was going to see to it that he got to Canaan safely. He didn't have to lie to his brother again. God orders our steps when we trust him. In Philippians 4, 4-9, again, uh, such an important passage that will help us live this practical life of faith. When you're in a situation that is just overwhelming, take these words and meditate on them and let God do this miracle in you, this transformation of faith. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When you are so overwhelmed and you're in the midst of tears, whether it be grief, whether it be conflict, whether no matter what the situation is that is causing you so much pain and torture and confusion, do you do this? And again, sometimes it's in the midst of your tears. Lord, I rejoice that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. I rejoice that you gave your life for me and that because God the Father gave his son for me, how will he not freely give me everything I need to be what I need to be? And you know, it, it's hard to praise God and to, to rejoice in who he is and who you are in Christ and at the same time to be dis- in despair. Have you noticed that? And it, it is a choice. I mean, it, it, it's not going to be automatic. And I've told you before, nobody can throw a pity party like I can. But I, I've also known the depths of despair where that just keeps sucking you further down. But when you make a decision, all right, I don't feel like rejoicing. But Lord, I rejoice in who you are. I rejoice in who I am in Christ. Let your gentleness be known to all men. That is your gentle way of living, your submission to the will of God. For the Lord is at hand, probably has a double meaning. 
The Lord's near. He's always present with us. We never face anything alone. Also could be a reference to the coming of the Lord. He's coming. The hope of his coming is real. And so if that's true, be anxious for nothing. Oh, man, that's a tough one. But that's what it means. And this is not going to be your natural response. It wasn't Jacob's. It's not going to be yours. You're going to be afraid of that which, you, which, which appears to be harmful to you. Be anxious for nothing. But, again, a choice. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Lord, I don't know what you're doing with this, this trial. I don't like it. It hurts. But I thank you that you've put me here. Because I know you're, you're working something in me and maybe something through me for someone else. And my desire is that God be glorified. And so, Lord, I don't like this situation. I don't want this situation. But I trust you that you ordered my steps here. I don't know why, but I thank you. Do you see how real these instructions are? Do you see how difficult they are? Do you see how unnatural they are? These are supernatural responses, responses of faith. Let your request be made known to God. Lord, give me direction. That's usually always my prayer is in the midst of it. I don't try to tell the Lord like some people, okay, Lord, you need to do this and you need to do this. And this is the miracle I want. And this is how you do it. I know God's going to do his part. I don't have to convince him to do it. He wants me to ask him. So I ask him. But my, my biggest concern is, Lord, just help me to know what your will is. Help me to know what the decision I should make in this situation. And the Lord will answer that prayer. But you have to make that choice. And what's going to happen when we do what God's instructed us? The peace of God. That which made you anxious will no longer make you anxious. Doesn't mean it goes away. Doesn't mean that everything's a hunky-dory now. But you know that God's in control. You can rest in that. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You shouldn't have that peace in the midst of what you're going through. But it's there anyway. You you can't explain it. it. Surpasses all understanding. It'll guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. More than ever in this day and age, we need our, our minds guarded against the world's influence. How to think, what to do, how to respond, how to re- even represent ourselves as Christians. No, we need to guard our minds with the Word of God. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Do you do that? When you're overwhelmed with thoughts of your, the anxiety of whatever situation you're in, do you take time to think on these other things that never change? All of these things Talk about God and his will. He's never lied to you. He's never forsaken you. Think on these things when you're overwhelmed with life's trials. Paul goes on to say, verse 9, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. He was a living example of these things. These do. And once again, the God of peace will be with you. Jacob still needed to learn that in his situation. He's learning. He's growing. We've seen some growth in his faith. But we need to learn from his example, both his good example and his bad examples. May we look to the Lord to teach us to put on the new man and his habits, his conduct. 
Well, I think we'll close there this evening.